episode 45 of Strange Brow Radio. I'm your host again, Tobe Johnson. Today's guest, we're going back to the secrets of the Sasquatch panel and listening to Sig Sigurdsson's take on the secrets that are Sasquatch. So these are timed rounds, and I'll tell you more about how that works in a moment. But thanks again to our sponsor, Feral by Aaron, Etsy.com. And I'm going to go ahead and say Manresa Castle. If you haven't ever been out to a haunted castle, go check out manresacastle.com or the castleinpt.com. The castle NPT is an in Port Townsend, a legit castle from the turn of the century. It's haunted. It's definitely haunted. And that's where we have our podcast live starting again January 4th. We will be there. And I'll tell you more about that probably at the end of this broadcast here. But check out Manresa Castle. Great folks, great food. Book a room now wherever you are. We'll be right back with Sig Sigurdsson. All right, as I said, our guest today is Sig Sigurdsson. He's been on the show a couple times with us. He's also a part of our live panel that we did, our Secrets of the Sasquatch, number two. And so this will be some clips from Sig's presentation. And the audio uh, is really good. There's also video portion. If you want to be a patron member, you can find the full, I think it's two and a half hours worth of video uh, between six speakers, Ron Moorhead, Joe Hauser, the Montana Vortex, Christopher O'Brien of Stalking the Herd, Ira Wolfneson, uh, I'll just call her a magician and future author, and then Ron's wife, Carrie Campbell, and author Tom Powell, speaking in-depth, at length, about the secrets of Sasquatch, including Sig Sigurdsson. Now, if you've listened to other presentations or you've been to one of our live events, you've seen that there was uh, a lot of layers to Kirk's stories. It all starts out in a haunted house as a little child, and then amps its way up and when we get to this point he's pretty well amped up in the world of Bigfoot so that in a moment real quick regarding Manresa Castle get yourself out there I really want to make it abundantly clear there is new ownership going on there and there is a lot of great stuff that they are attaching themselves to this historic haunted castle just check it out online, manresacastle.com. They've got burlesque, uh, a comedy night, a magic show, now us with uh, the podcastle, and that's going to be bi-monthly starting on January 4th. Our first guest we booked is a local researcher, comes highly recommended, uh, Mary Bethune, and you can go to the website and check out a bio on her. Their website is strangebrowradio.com. Click on through. In fact, you can just get all the podcasts right as soon as you click on strangebellradio.com. But if you go into the archives, I believe they start in 2017 and 19 and now into 2020, 2017, 18 and 19, yeah, and 20. I can count, I promise. Anyway, you'll see January 4th is our next live event. Again, manresacastle.com. Also, there is a trailer going around of a new show coming out on Travel Channel. I believe it's December 8th or 10th is the premiere. Um, 
as far as we can tell, and I haven't got confirmation from the producer of the show who I worked with uh, behind the scenes helping uh, get some audio from the Al Moon Lab to this show. So through bells and whistles and working with researcher David Ellis, we, we hear the audio that is from the Al Moon Lab that was sent out to Eastern Oregon where they were filming. And I believe, according to spectrum analysis, without any confirmation here, but the data looks good that that is some of the audio from the Al Moon Lab in that trailer. It is the long, wild howl that you'll hear at the very end. So that came from the Al Moon Lab. I believe there was another piece of audio that they got off us as well. And they were specifically interested in only things that sounded like it was, you know, the typical giant mountain monkey sound. Although, if you know anything about the Al Moon Lab or the Al Moon Altar, where I'm calling you today, it's anything but just a giant man monkey and whoops and hollers. So, regardless, very cool sounds and... Um, Take a look at that. I believe it's called Expedition Bigfoot is the name of the show. And I put out a short little trailer on that. If you check out the YouTube channel, Strange Brow Radio, there is a two-minute breakdown of what you're hearing and how it matches up and the 1,400 hours worth of audio we got. Um, all right, next up, let's play chunk number one. And again, the way we did this is we had seven speakers speak back in July about the topics topic topics of secrets of the Sasquatch, right? There are many topics surrounding that topic. And there are secrets afoot. So we take that in mind and with seven speakers, I believe six or seven speakers, we gave them chunks of time. And I believe the first chunk was twenty minutes and they could make their case that there are secrets according to uh, the Sasquatch story. And maybe we can talk about those or expose some secrets. And then we took a break, and then they had a 15-minute section where they could work with another audience member or they could work with another speaker on panel. Some of these are via a kind of Brady Bunch multi-cam view on Skype. And so you may hear Sig refer to another speaker on the computer with him that he's looking at on screen. And so just take that into mind. But uh, specifically, this is a conversation that SIG had with us and the audience back in July 2018, the second annual Secrets of the Sasquatch with SIG Sigerson. Let me reset the clock here for you, SIG, and read your bio. One second, let me bring this up. All right, our next guest, you've seen him before. He's been on the stage here twice so far. Sig Sigurdsson attended New York University where he earned a master's degree in English literature. His master's thesis entitled A Gothic Approach to H.P. Lovecraft's Sense of Outsideness was published in Lovecraft Studies Journal. After writing three novels while living in the Manhattan East Village, Sigurdsson returned to his native state of Oregon. It wasn't long before he began work on a fresh new novel that drew upon his knowledge of the Sasquatch phenomena. As research, he ventured dozens of times into the Sasquatch hotspots, and you guys heard those stories before if you were here. You heard and you actually saw some of the videos, the regressions in particular, from what he calls his men in plaid. Sig is an accomplished author, an incredible teacher, and a wonderful soul. Give it up 
for Sig Sigurdsson. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. All right, now let me make sure that we got you fully open there. All right, Sig, take the floor. You've got 10 minutes on your marks. Get set, go. Okay, so here are my notes. <laughs> All right, in the shape of a Sasquatch head. Beautiful. <laughs> okay, the owls. Right. An owl. Owls play into this phenomenon, believe it or not. And uh, you'll hear them imitating owls. You'll, you know, sometimes you see owls when Sasquatches are around. Don't hear that mentioned a lot in con connection with Sasquatches. You hear it mentioned in connection with UFOs and alien encounters. I don't like the word alien. Um, but um, so I'll just tell you a little about myself for those of you who weren't at the other talks I gave. Um, I'm a college professor and I've written a couple of novels. Those have been published. I've written like three or four other, let's see, uh, written five novels, a sixth in the works, and then I've written a few nonfiction books. I haven't been able to publish my nonfiction books because I'd be fired as a college professor if I did. And, uh, you know, Tom Powell was in a great situation. He, he was teaching at a great little school there. I had the opportunity to see his, uh, one of his last classes he taught in his career. I couldn't believe how smart his kids were. We're not all so fortunate in academia. Uh, we, we have a lot of shackles in academia in terms of what we can think and what we can say. And so, uh, you know, it's fine if you go off and have a hobby, but if you talk about it online, you get crucified in academia, right? So, and that goes for a lot of other avenues of life as well. It's hard to be a Bigfooter unless you've got a, a show. Uh, most of us don't have a show. Then uh, if you speak publicly about it, be prepared to, uh, you know, be ridiculed and possibly even discriminated against in the workplace. So with that said, um, you know, I started out Bigfooting when I was a kid. I didn't have a choice. I, I grew up from age two to eight in a ranch house with Bigfoots in the back there. It was a, a huge forest, a swamp, a pond. I had, there were horses there, uh, you know, surrounded by lots of other farms. And uh, then my family went uh, camping up near Mount uh, Jefferson, an area called uh, Horseshoe Lake. Half of the horseshoe was a swamp, very Bigfooty. Lots of calls up there, knocks. My parents didn't know what the hell was going on. They tried to figure it out. They just, they weren't equipped to really grasp what was happening up there. Um, I got going really, really strongly in Bigfooting from 2000 to 2008. And that was when I moved back from New York after I got my degree and I was in the advertising industry for a while. And um, so I had a lot of breakthrough experiences. I don't have time to go over those. Uh, you know, at some point, I'm going to be releasing my books that I've written. I'm, I really haven't been able to do that because of my career, um, but I'm tired of that. So I'm going to release them. And uh, so you'll be able to read about all that very soon. Um, you know, I would say some of the, the breakthrough experience for me was when one squatted behind my tent after it, uh, you know, uh, reconnoitered the tent, went around it several times speaking in very, a very fast language, did not sound like samurai chatter. And uh, so uh, the creature uh, then squatted down behind me. I didn't know it was behind me. Some interesting supernatural events happened, and then I shook myself loose from its grasp, its mental grasp. It made a huge sound and, and jumped to its feet and then kind of ambled off. There were some other experiences in the morning. That was a breakthrough experience for me. 
and it changed my life for the better and for the worse. But I don't, I don't have time to go into that now. Uh, what I would say, though, uh, I had my biggest sighting. A lot of my sightings and experiences were with witnesses. I went out of my way to uh, bring as many witnesses with me as possible. I did that for myself so that I would be able to uh, bounce ideas off of them, experiences in terms of what did you hear? Well, did it sound this way? Well, did you see this? You know, that's very important when you have an encounter. If you're by yourself, it's overwhelming. If you have a witness with you, it's much easier to deal with. So I was always bringing witnesses as often as I could. And that helped me a great deal having people there with me. My biggest sighting was with a, another person I was Bigfooting with quite a bit during that year. We both saw the creature. It was a, a fantastic sighting, although it wasn't that close. So I guess what I'd like to say for this talk is society is fake, but Sasquatches are real. And what do I mean by that? I mean, we live in uh, a manufactured world. Noam Chomsky wrote a book called Manufacturing Consent. I'm talking about manufactured reality. And when you go looking for Bigfoots, you're stepping outside of that manufactured reality and you suffer for it because our society has been designed to make you suffer for it. And there's a reason for that. And I could go into that maybe in the next segment if we have more time. And uh, so I guess I, I, I guess I could say that I've been Bigfooting well over 300 times, probably more like 500 times. And uh, just between um, the year 2000 and 2008, I, I, I can, I, my rough figure is 320 times that I went Bigfooting during that eight year period. And so I really do speak from experience in that you have to ask yourself why you're going. If your motives are good, and if you're connected with a spiritual base, you'll be more protected. If you go out there, drink a lot of booze, smoke pot, and think it's the ultimate extreme sport, uh, you may suffer for that. You, your, your guard will be down, you won't be spiritually prepared. It's kind of like going on a vision quest and, and feeling like you're just gonna drop acid and listen to Jimi Hendrix. The, the two don't go together. So you gotta be prepared with what you're gonna be up against when you go out there bigfooting. And you gotta realize it's not all fun and games. This stuff can haunt you for your entire life, just like a ghost can haunt you. You know, people that are familiar with ghosts know that they, um, you don't just go and have your fun in a haunted house and walk away all the time. Sometimes they follow you home. So you got to think about that when you go Bigfooting. And, uh, you know, my books are about that. I, I go into that. And a lot of people in this field kind of glorify it as though it's all fun and games. And wouldn't you like to have an encounter Oh, wouldn't you love to have a ghost pop up, you know, on the foot of your bed? Well, guess what? It's not, it's not really like that. When you're in a life where you're involved in that kind of thing, uh, it's, it's, really, it's really not so fun. It's really not all that fun. And, but it's interesting. So, you know, the books that I write are interesting. They're interesting to read and think about. But I don't really, I'm not affiliated with any secret society. I'm not affiliated with any government agency. I can't say the same for a lot of the people I know in the field. I really do suspect that some of them, I don't know the percentage, but I, I could guess, um, are involved in covert activities. And, you know, when you say a thing like that, you get stigmatized from, for that in the Bigfooting field. So that feeds into my idea that I mentioned earlier of the manufactured reality we live in. And guess what? 500 years ago, uh, you know, you like to think that we're more advanced now 
That ain't true, folks. People 500 years ago in many ways were, were far more advanced than we are today. Technologically, no, they didn't have gadgets. They had other kinds of technology similar to what Bigfoot's use at their disposal. And they also had a spiritual base to protect themselves. So in a way, we're like big dumb kids walking around with our fancy toys when our ancestors were far wiser in the way they approached the phenomenon. And there's a reason why they called Devil's Lake Devils. And there's a reason why they call it Devil's Ridge. Two minutes, two minutes. And stuff like that. Two minutes. So all I would say is it's, it's fun to think about. It's fun to read books about. But before you go out there, you want to ask yourself what you're getting into and you want to be prepared. And if you have a spiritual background, you want to connect with that and protect yourself. And I know uh, Alyssa is very knowledgeable in this area. She, you know, we all have different spiritual backgrounds, but if it emanates from the great spirit and uh, the protection of the great spirit, you know, then we're safe. I'm not saying that she necessarily, uh, you know, works with the great spirit per se. I won't speak for her, but I know a lot of Native Americans, you know, they have a spiritual belief system that protected them. Christianity can protect you. If you're a Muslim, that can protect you. Uh, if you're uh, Jewish, the Hebrew tradition, the Judeo-Christian tradition, all that stuff can uh, protect you. And so I recommend really looking after yourself, both spiritually and physically, after you go out into the field, if you're really going to get into Bigfooting, and to ask yourself if it's something that you really want to get into. This year, make it a feral by Aaron Christmas or Yule. Imagine above the hearth an empty sock. Stick a feral by Aaron rattle inside that baby. Underneath the tree, what do I do? I don't know. He or she loves interesting alchemy sound tools. Oh my gosh. Get an elk hide drum or bear skin drum or deer skin drum. Or if you have a Christmas spirit that lingers and it's just time to shuffle off to Buffalo, you may want to look at smudge fans. Feral by Aaron has beautiful crafted museum quality and i mean that alchemy sound tools that's at feral by aaron at etsy.com so hang up a piece of mistletoe get online and make feral by aaron your one-stop shop strange brow radio wishes you and all your family a happy holiday beautiful yule and a merry christmas Well, time is of the essence, you know. Uh, I think we're all here for a reason. It's no accident that we're here. I mean, just imagine how many people, you know, people are entertained by a show like Finding Bigfoot. And it's, it's, it's created its own, it's spawned its own memes and other things in our culture. And, uh, but, you know, how many people really want to know what's going on and even acknowledge there's anything to learn? And uh, so... I think everyone in the audience needs to be commended as well as the speakers that, you know, we're all trying to figure out what's going on. And Ron mentioned, you know, we want to know what happens before we were born. What, ha what happens after we die? I mean, who, who wouldn't want to know that? It, it's sort of like uh, in the modern West, we have a negative birth rate. Is that really representative of, of mother nature? It's so unnatural, you know, and uh, the way society has created atheists to, to not be curious about what happens before you're born or after you die, and just to accept that this is it, and, and we don't even know what this is exactly. And 
it's just such a shallow way to live. You know, I'm not saying that atheism is shallow. I'm just saying that not being curious about the paranormal or whatever you want to call it, the spiritual, it's all related. And uh, so I just wanted to say, you know, my, I think when I spoke first that in terms of Bigfoot, that's why we're here. We're talking about Bigfoot. We all have, a lot of us on the panel have a wide range of experiences with the supernatural. And, uh, you know, I guess the common thread in some respects is the sciences, but uh, I started out really being interested in the sciences as a tool to learn about Sasquatches. And I quickly realized that it was, at least from my viewpoint, almost counterproductive because it creates a false sense of security and a false sense that we're in charge out there. Um, how can you possibly use uh, a scientific inquiry with a subject that knows what you're thinking? I mean, it's absurd. I mean, I worked in psychology studies at New York University and they were all predicated on the idea that the subject wouldn't know what you were studying about them. In fact, a lot of the times that we had the experiments, the subject would actually be in the experiment in the lobby, waiting to go into the experiment. And then the experiment itself was just a, a, a farce and a front because the interest, they, they didn't even want the subject to know that he or she was being studied in an experiment. It was just in the lobby first. And so uh, I find it really absurd, the, this, this whole idea of using the scientific inquiry. And of course, people that use that, um, they don't, they're just cut off from all this other part of the spectrum. It would be like going out in the sun and only getting, you know, a tiny bit of the, the rays it provides. I mean, you can't even grow anything with that. It's just anemic. So it's not, it's not that I'm putting down the sciences. I just think that people are, they have a false sense of security and, uh, you know, it's all useful. I mean, uh, measuring footprints, uh, dermal ridges, all these things are very interesting. Uh, but really you have to look at it in the, in the perspective of the overall picture. And it's, and if you're limiting yourself to the sciences that are actually really contrived today, I mean, all the people that made the major discoveries from Kelvin to, you know, all these people, they wouldn't approve of the sciences today. I mean, they're so politicized and it's just ridiculous what the sciences have become. So um, I think that, you know, the sciences are useful, but if you, if you flatter yourself to think that the sciences are going to give you all the answers when you go around these beings, uh, it's, it's, it's just absurd. And, it, you know, I've been around it, uh, a lot of my, you know, a lot of my time Bigfooting. I had the chance to rub elbows with some of the top names in the field and to hang out with them. And ultimately, it, it just, you know, kind of fell apart for me just because I was frustrated by, the, by essentially hanging out with people in a straitjacket. And, and having my views really not as respected as they should have been um, because they were different from those in the sciences. And, uh, and what, what struck me as being pr probably the most interesting, I mean, I've hung out with Bob Gimlin, great guy. I, I, I actually, you know, talked to him extensively about his Native American background. Most people don't know that. You know, I've, I've hung out with, with all these people studying the Patterson film, uh, the, the biggest names in the field. And, uh, you know, just tons of really famous Bigfooters, but a lot of them in the sciences, it's like, I, I see the value of the sciences, and especially back then, I was trying to really, really kind of, uh, in a way, be politically correct and, and not step on anyone's toes, even while my toes were being flattened by the same people who disrespected my view, you know? 
And so after a while, it was just hard to keep that front up. And, uh, and especially when it was happening at work, because I was, people were seeing stuff online and stuff, and I was being disrespected at work. Even my own family disrespected me. They didn't like the fact that I was interested in the Bigfoot phenomenon. And they'd all been exposed to it while camping at Horseshoe Lake. They'd all been exposed to it while growing up, while I grew up in that ranch house, you know, for six years or when they were around. And then the people who moved into that house afterwards commented to me that their cousins would come visit from Phoenix and have all these sightings. I don't remember a sighting. I was so young, but, but they just, you know, said they actually had sightings on the same property. So I guess what I would say is that we can all learn from each other and teamwork and cooperation are really important, but so is mutual respect, you know? And uh, I've really suffered a lot for the fact that the most important thing for me ultimately is figuring out what in the hell is going on. I mean, it sounds funny, but to really admit that we don't really have that much of a grasp of it, even those of us that have had a lifetime of experiences, have been exposed to tons, have gone from maybe the scientific view to the so-called woo-woo view, which is actually, in my opinion, kind of a calculated uh, attempt to marginalize people that go at it from a spiritual perspective. And then to, to act as though the sciences somehow are, are more equipped to deal with it. I mean, we can all learn from each other. And, and far be it for me to, you know, um, thumb my nose at, at all the, someone with an amazing cast collection. I'm fascinated by that. I'll stare for hours at casts. Have I ever taken a cast? No. I mean, I was too busy trying to interact with the beings, ask them questions. You know, I would actually do that orally and then I, I experimented for a year or two telepathically that's not advisable uh, I, I soon stopped that that's like uh you know uh, meeting uh van gogh or, or gogan with a crayon i mean you you can't keep up with them it's just it's really dangerous actually and so i cut that off completely it just wasn't something i kept up with i felt it was dangerous but i did keep in fact, after I stopped uh, the telepathic experiments that, that I did probably from uh, about 2001 through about 2003, um, I had uh, an encounter that I dedicated my novel to. With, it was a very positive experience with the Sasquatch. And uh, I, was, I was with uh, this guy, David Mann. We were up uh, by this area where it was just notorious for tons of mushrooms growing. And uh, it was these two swampy lakes up by Mount Adams with a highway, that uh, a road, that, not a highway, a uh, road that runs between them. And uh, I just had the feeling that it was very, very, uh, there were presences there. I, I could feel them, Dave could feel them. And so uh, when Dave was eating his dinner in his van, uh, we, we ate our dinner separately that night. I went out, it was after dark, and I just, I basically just opened it up to just a bunch of questions. I tried to demonstrate my sincerity and I was talking out loud, which is, you know, I, I knew I could have maybe done it mentally, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to go into the mental uh, realm. It's just, it's, it's hard to sort out, you know, what you're even getting back if you float out some questions mentally. It's easier to control what we're used to, which is speaking. And so I did that. And um, nothing happened until I went to sleep that night in my Jeep in the driver's seat. I, I bigfooted so much, I didn't bother with tents. I was driving up twice a week, many, many weeks, I don't know, for at least like 20 weeks a year, for eight years, like twice a week. And I didn't have time for tents. I, I, I ate out of a can. I mean, I didn't, except when I wanted to make an offering of some really good steak. 
And then I would bring the very best steak and I would cook it on a spit where I'd leave one for them and I'd have one. Or if a friend was with me, then we, you know, we both eat our steaks and leave a steak. And uh, so what happened is I went into my Jeep and uh, basically I had this dream where I was sitting next to this giant man in plaid. And uh, this, this plaid thing comes up again and again. I have no idea why. I know Ira has theories on that uh, and I, I'm very interested in what she has to say on that. But, you know, so this is another case of a plaid man experience in my dream. This guy was probably about 12 feet tall in the dream. And he just basically said, okay, go ahead. I will answer your questions. I will answer all the questions you have. And when you wake up, write everything down that I say. And make sure you keep that safe. And so I asked all these questions. The dream, I mean, in my mind, modern science says dreams don't really last that long in real time. This one seemed to go on for at least an hour and a half or something. Uh, and um, the, the answers were just mind boggling. And uh, I wrote everything down when I woke up. I had a pen and paper in my glove box. I wrote it all down. I put it in my glove box. And then it, was, it wasn't within more than two weeks when, when it was just not in my glove box anymore. And did I take it out and lose it? I don't know, but uh, I left it in there. And it was so, I was just crestfallen that, uh, that the, my notes from that dream disappeared. And that just happens over and over again. It happens with people that have footage, uh, you know, camera work. It happens with people that have recordings. Uh, it's rare when you actually get an amazing uh, waiter, even, even your notes from a direct encounter, you know. But I advise people that have those materials to really keep them safe. It's sort of like in Lord of the Rings. Remember when uh, Gandalf, what he said to Frodo? Keep it secret. Keep it safe. You really need to do that uh, when you have that information. It's important and write everything down because you'll forget it. Write it down and, and, and just humor me, seriously, because um, I'll give you an example. So I took my father bigfooting. I took him to a very active spot at the time up at Fish Creek. And this was when there was a real hot spell. And sometimes these spots will go hot, they'll go cold, then they'll go hot again, you know, and, and, and people make the mistake of thinking, oh, it's cold forever. No, 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 it, it, it'll come and go. And, this, and it had been hot before and then cold. And, and now the Forest Service has tried to destroy the whole spot so you can't even get back in there, which is suspicious to me. I think, I think they did it on purpose, but you know, maybe they didn't, maybe it's just funding issues. Anyway, um, I was up at this quarry with my dad, and we had all kinds of everything from knocking to all this stuff. And then there was, uh, they imitated a, a really high caliber handgun. Now, it was so close to us, just right up on the ridge, we would have smelled the powder. We would have heard it hit the brush, unless it, it didn't sound like it was firing straight up. It sounded like it fired right near us. And my dad just freaked out, and we had to get out of there, you know. He just, he's like, we got to get out of here, you know, we're being fired at. And uh, I really don't think we were being fired at because when we got out, we didn't see any trucks anywhere. It was completely deserted. It was a weekday. It was the middle of a weekday. I think it was, in, it was might have been uh, summer. I can't remember. It was nice weather. And on our way out, I had said a couple of things to him and uh, we had shared these experiences. And it was important to me because, as I said in my family, I did get quite a bit of a very polite um, static and uh unreceptivity and i don't want to say disrespect that's too hard of a word but um kind of like why is he wasting his time with this type of thing and it's all nonsense and uh 
So, you know, when my father had, he, he had a couple of experiences with me. It meant a lot to me because it, it validated, I, I don't need dad's approval, but, you know, I mean, it validated uh, for the rest of the family. You know, he, he shared some of these experiences. Now, the funny thing was, I, I don't have time to go into what those were. I mentioned some of them. Two minutes. I talked to, Two minutes. I talked to him uh, on the way out. We talked about it extensively. He remembered everything. I talked to him like a week and a half later, two weeks later, he remembered everything. A year later, he'd forgotten three quarters of it. He has a great memory. He always had a steel trap mind for, for details. That was his job. He was a civil engineer. He could remember incredible amounts of information. Now, how did he just forget all that stuff? I don't think it was an accident. That's why I say that I think that you should really write this stuff down. Now, some of it's societal pressure. We're not supposed to be doing these things, really, at least intelligently, um, with a wide spectrum that respects the sciences, but also the spiritual side. We're not really supposed to be doing that. So what is stopping us from doing that? And I'm just going to end my talk by saying, in my opinion, it's the same forces that are purposefully destroying the planet. We are not destroying the planet. We are being co-opted to destroy it. And those forces are the same forces that don't want us to have the answers about everything from Sasquatches to orbs to UFO experiences. Christopher mentioned some great experiences. I'm very interested to hear about his Grace Harbor, his grandfather who um, you know, had the encounters in Grace Harbor, perhaps maybe the great famous Grace Harbor uh, cast. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. So that, does anyone have a question? I can answer maybe one question. I don't know if I have time. Well, he didn't have time, and that was due to the lightning round scenario that we had for our six panel speakers. Now, if you want to hear all the speakers all at once for the three-hour second Secrets of the Sasquatch, which we shot this year, July 2019, you can. You just got to be a member of Patreon. So how do you do that? Go to patreon.com forward slash Radio. And there you will see a couple of scenarios. Extra podcasts for a little bit, extra podcasts and video for a little bit more. Monthly subscription, that's the what we have. And uh, it'll link you through to a hidden code on YouTube. Or you can go check us out at strangebrow.com. You can type that in and you'll go to all sorts of stuff, including archives, uh, YouTube, our Facebook page, blah, blah, blah. I want to thank everybody that listens to this. And if you had an encounter something that you feel is worthy of talking about, or if you're uncertain whether or not it's worthy at all. Um, Usually, we short sell ourselves on how incredible all this stuff is, but I will tell you it helps the other people that are listening, and it causes a tidal wave of, I guess, honesty. Um, Not everybody wants to talk about this. I get that, but I get emails. So I've got a couple interviews lined up, including two today, back at Manresa Castle. So I will be rolling video again for our Patreon members at the castle with these two witnesses, and I'll announce who they are at a later time. And I've got some really cool opportunities um, to actually go meet some people in active areas, especially Bigfoot areas. And speaking of Bigfoot, we spent a three-hour chunk with Midnight in the Desert and Darkness Radio. So there will be a code, an archive code, that I believe I can share with you at strangebowradio.com. Man, three hours is a long time to talk straight, and um, I did. We went through a lot of sounds, a lot of history of the Al Moon Lab, so that was, again, at Midnight in the Desert with 
uh, Dave Schrader, and I will have a link that you can click through. I'll put a link page up on the uh, website. Sorry, I'm lost for words. I've got a lot on my plate. I've got a broken septic system and a sick pug downstairs, and I've uh, got to move off to do these interviews here shortly. So anyway, that's real life. I know everyone wants to hear about a broken septic, uh, the smell. Okay. <laughs> On that note, uh, have a great Thanksgiving. Don't go down that road. You know which road I mean, the political road. Just eat your stuffing and get the heck out of Dodge or get them out of your house. <laughs> But in all seriousness, have fun with your friends and family. It's supposed to snow here in the Pacific Northwest. I don't know what that'll mean. And the season is approach us, approaching us again uh, every year. We, uh, we want to thank you all for listening. So I'm rambling. Talk to you later. I'll see you in the trees.